Good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you here this morning. It occurred to me on the way up here that we've had a recurrent thing among our last few ministers who warned us about the number of pages of notes that they had and wondering if we'd get home for lunch. And to make things worse, I brought my lunch. So you're in trouble. <laughs> Actually, it's a small prop that um, we'll pull out here in a minute. Thank you. Okay, well, I'm not even sure if this morning is uh, the summer, so um, we had a. I was think I wasn't sure there was going to be a children's class. Great, great idea, and a really good children's class there. I enjoyed that. So I sort of wove a few stories in here from the antiquities of my life, and um, so several stories that I hope will help us think about the story that, that we're in right now, and uh, how we should or shouldn't deal with it, with things. I don't know if you're introspective or not. I not often am not, but then I have moments when things are quiet, when I do tend to do some fairly serious introspection. And um, often I wonder how well I'm doing. I think that's what introspection is. We kind of look back over our lives and wonder, you know, how God is looking at how we're doing in this school of life. You know, are we ACS? Are we 4.0 uh, students? Or are we struggling? Um, do we have lots of room for improvement? We're not, not talking about merit here or earning our salvation. Not talking about uh, working our way to heaven. But if we believe, if we start with the premise that God's grace is given to us to make a difference in how we respond to life, are we utilizing God's grace and struggling well in the tight spots that we get into. In other words, are we making the efforts that God expects from serious believers? Are we doing those things that He sees as important? Those are questions I think that we believers do well to ask ourselves in and after trials, and when things fall apart and when the comfortable structures crumble. What are we left with? What is real when the non-essentials are stripped away? And how could we have done better? So I thought I would share a couple of sort of unnerving events from our lives from the last 20 couple years and uh, bring you up to date maybe a little on the effects of the COVID pandemic and then make some observations about myself and how I and likely you could improve our walk with God in times of trouble. So, story number one. And I'll pull out the property. It's not a stale sandwich. This is a borrowed small cat. We're going to call it a cat for two. Uh, a kitten. And that's what started this story 
be careful with chickens. So some of the older folks know where I'm going here and remember some of this story and helping us through this time. But the year was 1996, and we were on the farm and dairying for a living. Our family was young. We were young. We were fairly healthy, and milking was still paying the bills at that point. Life was good. Somewhere early summer, a brief encounter with a desperate kitty left me with a deep bite in my thumb, though I had no inklings of trouble at the time. Can you imagine a cat about this small biting someone as big as me about right there and bit all the way through my thick hide into the tendon sheath there, apparently, but we didn't know that either. So a number of days later, my thumb turned red and got sore, and I'm thinking, well, it's a puncture wound, so home remedies, of course, to speak for doctors. Sorry, John. That's some false soap. And I hate to tell you this, but I turned to my cow medicine cabinet for some antibiotics, enough probably to mask the infection that was starting to grow inside of my thumb. I eventually went to a real doctor and got oral antibiotics, augmenting a full course of that. But by then, and I didn't know this, but that infection deep inside of that tendency had apparently walled off, and the augmenting did not take care of it. So this started a cycle of treatments that would help for a week or two, and then the infection would flare up again. Uh, my hands and, and my wrist, and finally on up my arm would turn red and hot, and we dropped something else. And my hand became a sort of a dead and useless thing. It was sort of locked in this position, stiff and unusable, and it was quite a liability for an active dairy farmer. Unhandy, you might say. So, to shorten this tale, I'll skip, skip, I'll skip to the summary. Uh, I ended up with four hospital stays. I know nobody else is counting, but there were four times in the hospital. IV antibiotics every time, three surgeries, and a $25,000 medical bill over the next four months. This is in 96, about the time that Marion, my Martha's mother, Mary's mother, passed away. Um, there was a lot of things going on then. John and Jenny got married that year. And, but on the farm, we had work to do. We had, it was summer early on then, but the corn was growing. We had salads to chop, corn to trench to fill, cows to milk through all of that. Bills were piling up. Um, labor force. So children did a lot of milking. Barbara was my personal nurse. Uh, Jerry was helping us at the time. All uh, the granddaddy help was still helping Tom down what he could. And, uh, but I was sick and I was feeling sick. It wasn't just a hand wound, but it was some depression and I just felt bad all over with all the infection in me and all the treatment probably. How would the fall work happen? How would the bills get paid? Would I lose this hand? That was 
discuss my kids, and Dr. Sidney was concerned about that. Well, it all worked out. Uh, here we are, 20 some years later, 25 almost. I can look back on that summer and say, well, God had everything under control. But when you're in the middle of trouble, you wonder. You wonder where God's at. You wonder how things will work out. Uh, well, this is what God did, looking back. Our family all pulled together. I, I said, Barbara was my nurse. She took care of me, helped me with IVs. Uh, we did home IVs for a bunch of every eight-hour stretches. Um, yeah, everybody pulled together. And then a bunch of church brothers came over and chopped my corn. Uh, Junior was over, I believe, and helped. There he is. Might even use your tractor. I'm not sure in Chopper. I think so. Uh, Merle was the uh, brought a skitter up and packed the trench with that. I uh, remember visits. I remember hospital stays. One time I hadn't even got to the room that I was to be admitted to, and there were flowers from the church in the room already. So our church family rallied around us. Um, Neil came in. God sent us to an amazing physical therapist who heated, massaged, stretched, and tormented my hand until she got it started moving again. And after a few months, he said, just go farm. You'll get the rest of your therapy doing that. So we did. The resharing group we were had just recently become part of helped cover the bills and everything got paid as far as I know. And that storm, like most storms, eventually faded into the distance with only some lingering whys or what was that all about? And all because of a little pity. So be very careful with that. <laughs> I hadn't thought about that story for a while, so some things kind of came back to me. It had been a long time, and a lot has happened since then. Now we'll fast forward to the winter of 2010, about 15 years later. It wasn't a health issue this time, but it was a financial sickness going on on the farm. Milking cows wasn't paying the bills. We'd always been a small dairy, and between that and poor milk prices and probably poor management, we were going backwards fast on the farm. So I spent some money and bought more cows and hoped that more milk would help. Well, surprise, they ate more feed and it took longer to milk. And stretch gets to manage it even more and cost money to buy them. That didn't help much. Something had to be done. Of what? We had done that ever since we came home from Guatemala in 89. We had been on the farm with Daddy and, and then Jerry, and, and we'd been milking cows most of my life. I'd done mechanic work for a while, but we were, we liked being there with our family on the farm. It was a good place to be. So, what to do? We wrestled with that question uh, into the winter and finally decided. We're going to sell the whole herd and try to make a living peddling veggies and raise tomatoes. 
Strength enough. This was for a short period of time. I kept in short period of time. This was probably as traumatic for me uh, as the cat bite episode. It's just a different part of life. I remember without a buyer, which was somewhat remarkable. Milk prices were down. Found a buyer, agreed on a price, and made a deal in February of 2011. And those next few days were when I probably experienced most of the things and fellow uh, uh, remorse. Um, after we made the agreement, I remember those the next few days and sleepless nights and coming to church and sitting here in my mind was just whirling. It probably doesn't make sense to me because it just, that was what we had done and that was what I knew and um, you know, what else was out there that we could trust and, and uh, would work for us? Anyway, I'll abbreviate there too, but um, I questioned the future and wondered what God was up to. But we went ahead with the thought. I remember talking to Norman even about this. I said, is it even ethical? But could I go back to those buyers that I had given my word to and, and beg to get my cows back? Or to not go through with the deal. Well, we went ahead. He thought it was probably still the thing to do, fortunately. We went ahead and the cows rolled out the lane and we took a deep breath and had a little misdemeanor. <laughs> um, we, we work as hard now in six days as we did in seven before, but we still nice uh, to to not have that regularity. Anyway, that wasn't the story. God knew all about this whole scenario. Um, you know, we have lingering wise, and here's how this played out looking back. It took some time. Once again, the family pulled together. We raised the tomatoes. We raised some beef. Lowell got us into raising strawberries and pumpkins. And now looking back from 10 years later, as I said, you know, really miss the cows at all. So that storm blew by too, didn't it? And it's a whole lot easier to see now and to say than it was then. So why am I taking a valuable and scarce church time telling stories about my troubles? Well, life is a story. And we're writing a new one now. But this one isn't finished yet. Here's how it started. So there we were at the beginning of 2020, a fresh new decade, and this small collection of believers at a little town called Gladys, who after some major upheavals in church life, were beginning to sort out their identity and their interconnections to each other, and some progress was being made, and then in March, out of the blue, a weird, contagious, and complicated virus interrupted a lovely series of revivals and shut down all in-person services, prayer meetings, sports practice, summer Bible school, prison ministry, community ordinations, etc. So, tell me, Grandpa, what did they do? Said the 2042 youngster to his 80-year-old G-Pop. We don't know yet. They didn't finish. They haven't finished doing it. 
comfortable, familiar, reassuring, and encouraging function of the church will reduce the phone services with practically familiar voices coming in over the sound waves, and then careful small services tentatively and carefully reconnecting with other believers to be continued. So, after all these stories, what did I put all the lessons? One is, of course, that things come to pass. That was a quote from Big John. He was fond of saying that. I'm sure it wasn't original with him. But he says, things don't come to say, they come to pass. So that's helpful to know that. And looking back at God's faithfulness in the past is always helpful. Remember those questions we were wondering about in the beginning? How have we done in our trouble? What could we have done better in? Well, here's a few on my list. This is my wishing list of how I wish I would have done better and saw some of these, these different stories, including the one we're in. <clears throat> I wish I had done more speaking. Remember Leon's sermon from last Sunday? That was a very, very big sermon. The woman at the well. Jesus told her that God was seeking true worshipers. And then we're told in Hebrews 11 that without faith it's impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. God rewards those that put some effort into seeking Him. And in pandemic, we didn't know that, but we had lost the time, didn't we? We didn't think about it so much, maybe, until we're moving through it. And, of course, we were in strawberry pandemic, too, right then. So that was challenging. But And when I was sick during that time with the cat bite, I had time. I could have used it more wisely in seeking God. And the truth is that having established patterns of speaking during good times will help us in times of chaos and trouble. That's one thing I wish I had done. And I wish I had more often welcomed Emmanuel as my daily companion. In Matthew 1.23, that promise there says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means... God with us. When we try to do life on our own, we miss the great advantage and blessing of having God with us. He's not surprised by what's over the hill or around the next church, like we are, and He can be that steadying hand on our shoulder, reassuring us of His presence, comforting us even in confusion and distress or pain. And I wish I had prayed more and worried less. From 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your care on Him, for He cares for you. Praying is how we cast our cares, verbalizing what we can and groaning what we can. Communicate faith and trust in God, and He is listening. I wish I had been nicer to those around me. When I was 16, I was voted in as youth president. 
And that lofty office probably noticeably swelled my head. And my mother picked up on that. And she found and hung a wall plaque in my room that said, it's nice to be important, but it's more important to be nice. My mom was a perceptive woman. But stress can take a toll on interpersonal relationships. Feelings can be on edge, new situations are faced, and it's easy to mistake others' motives and intentions. So, be nice. And this one is Ephesians. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Ephesians 4.32. That's nice. I wish I'd looked and left through Fox News and read more good news. Filling our minds with the facts isn't always helpful, not just because, not because facts aren't good, it's just they can fill our minds, and our minds full of just facts isn't always a good thing. The input of God's Word in our minds and hearts is part of having Emmanuel God with us. Jesus is the Word. Having Emmanuel with us calms and clears our minds. And I wish I'd focus on the most important things. Having God with us now and being with Him for eternity is, without doubt, the most important thing. I'll take a little risk here now um, out to close. I may be run out the door, but I had a dream a couple nights ago. I don't often dream. I usually sleep very soundly. But I had a dream, and not to make too much of it, it was thought-provoking at the very least. Um, I was in bed, and... A sound caught my attention, and it was daylight, which is unusual for me, but I could see out the window somehow, and to the southwest, down across where Eric's was building your house, but much, much bigger, came a tornado of fire. A whirling and whooping spinning color of fire, probably like the children of Israel falling around heading to Canaan. This is not here. Okay? It's not here. Um, and I noticed this thing was coming closer. I've been running the torch the day before, I think. Maybe I had something to do with it. That just, it was that sound. But I noticed people floating up. And I thought, is this Jesus? And about then I heard there was this popping sound. I don't know what that was. And suddenly I was through the roof and rising up into the sky. And this thing was getting closer. And, and as I rose, the, the one of the last thoughts in, that went through my mind before I woke up was... Where's my wife? Where's my family? And looked around, hoping to see everyone there. I, this is not a detailed dream. 
Uh, I don't have that all filled in, but that was the dream, and I've been thinking about it ever since. You know, we have trouble, and we can get distracted by trouble because trouble is distracting, and it's close to home, and it's, it hurts, or it distresses us, it pulls our attention away from things that maybe are more important. So that's what I would like to do is think more about the important things. But it's a fact Jesus is coming for us, no matter whether it's in a whirlwind of fire, uh, maybe like Elisha, or if it's a car wreck or a tractor backing over a little person or uh, just old age or, or what. We will be facing Jesus one day, and everyone will, and we need to prepare for that, and that's the most important thing. So, I wish I had remembered that more during those times. But one more detail here is that these stories, this story, isn't over yet. So... We don't just have to wish the past was different. We can help make the future look a little different. We're still living out how we responded to the pandemic of 2020. We're still living out how we relate to each other and how we interact with each other and how nice we are or aren't to those around us. And do we pray and do we read God's Word and do we absorb it? It's up to us to rewrite the last chapter or several chapters or whatever we have left. So let's, God, let's let God have a hand on the keyboard, the pen, or the pencil. He has a happy or blessed and blessed ending in store for us if we let Him help write these stories. God bless each of you as you work on yours.